Relationship Rewire is made possible by support from its listeners. So please hit pause and go to growinglovenetwork.org and click on the donate button. Go ahead. We'll be glad to wait. Welcome to another episode of Relationship Rewire, where we talk about what's wrong and what's right with marriage and relationships in our world today. This episode is titled, Why You're Probably Considering Divorce. On today's episode, I'm going to do something a little bit different. It's not going to be me with a guest. It's just going to be me. And the reason for that is because the subject material today is probably just, I just couldn't think of a good way that would be uh, to do it with, with interviewing somebody or having a conversation that would be as, as effective and to the point as just me speaking about it myself. So uh, what the issue is, is if you're a person listening to this and you are considering getting a divorce, then this episode is for you. And you're probably going to hear that right now and go, okay, I don't want to listen to this. But I urge you that you will want to have heard this by the time it's done. You may not like hearing it, but you will be glad that you did. And uh, your temptation, your yearning to turn this off right now is because you're probably realizing that you're going to hear something that you know you need to hear that you deep down believe, but you don't really want to hear it. And you're probably going to hear something that you didn't expect to hear as well, that in the long run is going to help you out. Now, my my overall concern, I'm not so in, in the mood to save marriages, uh, especially marriages that are a train wreck, that are hurtful, that are destructive, that are just unfulfilling. Now, if you're hearing this, you may be saying, wait, you don't care about saving a marriage like that. Well, no, I care about saving marriages, but not a marriage like that. I would like for that marriage to become a new marriage. So that doesn't necessarily mean getting, uh, redoing your vows, burning your uh, marriage license and getting a new one with each other, but creating a different relationship, a new relationship with each other that is wonderful that is fulfilling and, and that makes you go, hey, I am so glad I am married to this person and not single or not married to someone else. That's what I'm interested in. And that's what I hope that, uh, that the couples that we work with will eventually arrive at. In fact, that's what we see over and over again. The couples that we work with, the vast majority of them do turn things around and have something wonderful happen with their marriage that starts to grow and thrive. And, and many of the couples that we worked with are actually now helping other couples uh, because of their story. Now, if you're listening to this, you're, you're probably saying to yourself, well, if you're listening to this and you're in that category of, I think I want out of this marriage, you're probably thinking, I don't want to have uh, false hope for my marriage, for myself, because I don't want to set myself up for more hurt and just draw this thing out longer. And you probably also care for your spouse that you're thinking about ending your marriage with. 
and you're thinking, uh, I don't want them to have false hope, and I don't want to, I would like for them to be able to move on and, and the, the pain of all this be drug out longer than it needs to be. I'd like for them to be able to move on as quick as they can. And if they believe that uh, there's a chance for us, then uh, they'll keep hanging on and they'll just have more misery. And I don't want that for them. And I totally get that. That makes a lot of sense. Here's the thing though. The two of you are always going to have a relationship with each other. No matter what happens in the future, whether you stay married or not, you're both going to have a relationship with each other. Now, for the, some of you, that relationship will be that you may not even see each other again or talk to each other again. Uh, I have a, uh, uh, well, I recently kicked a habit of probably 25, 30 year habit of drinking at least 32 ounces of Diet Coke per day. And just around the corner from me, it, where if the neighborhood where Joanne and I have lived for almost 20 years, there's a convenience store, gas station, where I would go in pretty much every day and fill up my cup with 32 ounces of ice-cold Diet Coke. Over the years, uh, since I went in there pretty much every day, over the years, I got to know the people that work there pretty well. Some of them would last for a few days, some would last for several years and everything in between. But uh, one of the one day I walked in that store to fill up my cup and there was a new young man working there. And this particular brand of convenience stores does a pretty good job about training their, their staff to be courteous and to greet people when they come in the door and to, and to give them a good send off as they leave, like saying, have a good day or something like that. So this young man was standing at the counter. I filled up my cup, went up to pay, and he didn't ever, he never looked at me in the eyes. He didn't say hello when I walked in. And so I paid and was thinking about the situation. And then I took my change and turned to leave and I just couldn't help myself. I turned back to him and said, well, have a nice day. And then wheeled back around to head out the door when I heard him say, yeah, whatever. This caught me off guard, and so I stopped, froze in my tracks, and turned back around to look at his face to see uh, if what was on his face matched the words, and sure enough, his face looked like he meant, yeah, whatever, um, like he had no will for my life to be any better, and obviously his wasn't so well. Well, it, that bothered me a bit, but I went on out the door and thought, well, I, I have all but 30 seconds of my life invested in this relationship. So it didn't hurt much. But uh, I got thinking on the way to work about that situation. And I thought, you know, that doesn't really bother me. Probably by the time I get to work, I won't have any thoughts about him at all anymore for the rest of the day. Then I got to thinking, what if this morning as I left to go to work, I turned to Joanna and said, well, have a nice day. And then as I turned to get in my vehicle or go out the door, I heard her say, yeah, whatever, and turned and looked back at her face and saw the, sim the same or similar face on her expression, basically telling me, yeah, whatever, I don't care about your day or about how you feel. Well, if that would have happened to me, by the way, it's never happened with Joanna. She's always gracious enough, even when she's upset with me, to give me some kind of 
response that's positive and, and affectionate, or at least uh, that she's putting up with me for, for the moment. But uh, she's never said anything uh, in, in response to a day like that, uh, to a, a message from me like that, that, that would tell me that uh, she doesn't care about how I feel. But if she had, uh, that day would have been a totally different day for me than it was with that young man at the convenience store. It would have hurt me deeply. I probably, if I would have had time, I would have wanted to come back in the house and talk about it and see what's wrong with her and why are you mad at me or what's what's the deal? Is Are we okay? Um, if I didn't have time, it would have bothered me the whole way to work. I wouldn't have been able to concentrate at work. It would have messed up my whole day. I'd probably be calling at my breaks and saying, hey, are you okay? Are we okay? I would have been focused on, you know, getting uh, back to her somehow and trying to heal uh, this this disconnect between the two of us. And I wouldn't have been able to move on very well with my life if I hadn't had taken the time to repair what damage I thought there might be between the two of us. Well, this, the thing is, is the difference between those two situations is because Joanna, I have about 34 years of my life invested in, and most of my hard-earned money and most of my energy and all kinds of other things I have invested in our relationship. I have only 30 seconds of my life invested in that young man's, uh, my relationship with that young man. He, incidentally, the next day I came back and he had been, I guess, probably fired, but I don't know if I'd recognize him again. That's been several years ago, but if I accidentally ran into him in a store somewhere and recognized him, well, the, the relationship wouldn't start a new relationship there um, unless I intentionally did. The relationship picks, off, picks up where it left off. Now, hopefully I would be gracious and forgiving and hope, you know, be thinking I hope he's grown and uh, turned a corner somewhere in his life and learned how to do things to keep a job. But uh, I don't know, I might avoid him. But whatever happens, that, that relationship still picks up. It's, it, it, it still affects me. It's still um, a part of who I am, although it's a very small part. And so even if I went and engaged in conversation saying something like, hey, you remember me years ago? Probably don't, but uh, I bought a soda when you were working at such and such a store. And you said, uh, uh, yeah, whatever, when I said, have a nice day. He might remember, he may not, but we still have this relationship. Well, so much more so is the case with you and your spouse. So even if you never were to see your spouse again, which is very highly unlikely, um, you still have a relationship. So if you run into her or you cross paths with, or him or her, or cross paths with mutual um, relationships, families, friends, which is pretty much unavoidable, then you still have pieces of that relationship that affect you. Is your marriage getting worse instead of better? Has there been talk of separation or is either spouse considering divorce? If any of these apply, then Love Reboot is your answer. Come join the hundreds of couples who were once in despair and headed for divorce 
but are now experiencing a thriving, growing relationship after attending a Love Reboot weekend. Visit us at growinglovenetwork.org for more information on an upcoming Love Reboot workshop. Hello, this is Max Lucado. You're listening to Relationship Rewire. So there is no getting away from the fact that you will always have a relationship with your spouse. Now, for most people, um, it's going to be a lot more than just an occasional crossing paths, if, especially if you have children together. Uh, you're going to be dealing with each other on pretty much a daily basis. Uh, you're going to be still dealing with children issues, and you're going to be dealing with uh, paying for bills and school matters and all those other things. So your relationship is not going to go away in the least bit. It's going to take on a different name. Instead of being husband and wife, you're now exes, but you still have a relationship with that person and you cannot avoid it. So I think what a lot of people think when they are planning on uh, or just even considering divorcing is they are, uh, they are imagining a time when they won't be interacting with this other person that they now call their spouse in the same way. And yes, true, um, you will be interacting with them in a different way because you will be interacting with them as their ex. But in most other ways, you'll be interacting them, interacting with them the same way. What I mean is you're both bringing your same selves to that relationship when you do interact. And it's going to be an ongoing part of who you are. Now, uh, I... I'm an elder at a church here in Oak, in, um, called Oak Hills Church in San Antonio. And most Sundays, we have a time, sometime after the sermon usually, when we uh, have a call for people to come forward and pray with an elder. And not hardly a month goes by that I don't have a uh, someone come up to me uh, and asking for prayers for their ex or for their situation with their ex. And it usually goes something like this. Yes, uh, please pray for me. My life is miserable. My ex is making my life miserable. And I just don't know what to do about my ex. So I will usually pray and then, well, I'll always pray with them. But usually afterward, I just can't resist asking this question. I will ask them, does your ex know that you love them? And they will look at me like I'm from another planet and sometimes even explain to me uh, the meaning of X. Uh, that means I'm no longer married. And I'll say, yes, I get there. You're not married. They're your, your ex-spouse. But do they know that you love them? Because um, if they don't believe that you love them, then they probably believe that you are uh, against them. And at, at the very least, indifferent to them. Well, if somebody believes that you're indifferent to them or against them, then they are just our human nature is going to be that they're going to probably not be bending over backwards to make our life more convenient. In fact, they're going to see us as a foe or as uh, an enemy to their life. And so they're going to be um, on guard, actually going to be taking active measures to try to keep us from hurting them. And 
being human nature as it is, most of those measures are going to be things that make the relationship even worse and make your own life even more miserable. So what I'm trying to, to get at when I am talking to these people is, look, if you want to make your own life better, you've got to start showing that other person love. And of course, by love, I don't mean a feeling uh, because love is not a feeling. I'm talking about what you do, how you treat them. Are you kind? Are you patient? Uh, are you joyful around them? And on and on the list of uh, what love is. So um, if you're this person listening to this and you're considering uh, a divorce or maybe even just separation for the moment, one of the things that uh, is probably happening in your life is that you are involved with somebody else. It may be just on an emotional level at the moment. Probably not. You're probably involved with somebody else sexually as well. And you've entered into a phase in your life, um, a segment of your life where you believe that you will only be happy, truly happy with this other person. And that you will not be happy if you stay married to your spouse. And that this other person was uh, maybe even who you were meant to be with. And so you made a mistake by marrying your spouse. You got married for the wrong reasons or married the wrong person. Or you got uh, married uh, because you felt pressured or uh, like it was the right thing to do but not necessarily because this was the love of your life. So I get that, that, that feeling. Um, there's actually a scientific word for that feeling. It's, it's a word that's been around for 50 plus years. Not too many people know it. And I believe the reason most people don't know it is because we don't really want to know it. We'd like as human beings to believe that there's somebody out there that if we find that person, that we're always going to have this wonderful, ecstatic, um, physiological, emotional, mental response to that we're just going to feel so wonderful and accepted by this person as long as we live and as long as they live. And this is, in essence, what limerence is. Most people refer to it as in love. And so when they are in a state of limerence, they say, I'm in love. And I've often hear people say, I've found my soulmate when they're in this state. So let me talk a little bit about what's going on. The, this, this term was coined back in the 60s by one of the first researchers of uh, what's going on when people are falling in love. Her name was Dorothy, Dr. Dorothy Tenoff. And as she was studying uh, this phenomenon of people falling in love, she started noticing things about it that didn't really seem like love. Uh, they have some strong feelings, and we often confuse them with love and think they are love. I'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, as, they, as she started studying it, then a lot of other people started piggybacking on her research and many other uh, researchers in psychology and, and um social sciences started uh, looking more into this phenomenon called limerence. 
Now, one of the things that we know about it um, is that typically when somebody is in a state of limerence, uh, they have a change in brain pattern and brain neurochemistry. So everybody walks around with all these uh, neurochemicals uh, in their body and in their brain. Everything that we do and think and feel is a result of these chemicals being passed from cells to cells in our brain. And um, one of those neurochemicals uh, that we all have is called dopamine. Now, when you have an unusually high spike, in other words, when, when more dopamine is being passed around in your brain than usual, then you tend to feel pretty energetic. You feel sometimes euphoric. You, you uh, notice pain less. You have more stamina. You have uh, just, well, an overall good feeling. When someone is in a state of remembrance, their dopamine levels are at an elevated level. So you're feeling more ecstatic, more hopeful, more uh, well, just euphoric. And so that part makes sense, of course. Uh, another one of these chemicals is called serotonin. You may have heard of that, of that as well. Serotonin, uh, it's got a couple of its main functions. One of its functions is it's a mood stabilizer. So um, when our serotonin levels are lower than usual, we tend to have more swings in mood. We have more, uh, we're not so steady in our mood. Our highs are higher, our lows are lower. So we tend to have, um, well, for example, somebody who's uh, dealing with bipolar disorder will probably, if they're on some kind of medication, they'll probably be on something that helps to bring, to raise their serotonin levels. Well, during limerence, serotonin levels drop below their, their normal level. So we tend to have wilder and more um, noticeable pitches in our moods. And very often I have people that I'm talking with who are in limerence with somebody, especially more the ones that I talk to are ones that are in limerence with somebody that's not their spouse and they're married. And uh, they will tell me things like, I feel like I'm going crazy sometimes. Uh, and that's exactly what they're talking about is the serotonin levels are dropped. And so they're having these, these wild swings in moods. So for example, they might feel ecstatic, high, um, almost maybe even manic or just, you know, just a lot of energy when they're around that other person. Uh, but then if there's an argument or that other person is doing something without them, hanging out with some friends or maybe with their spouse, then they have these real low feelings. So another function of serotonin is, I like to call it the Jiminy Cricket uh, neurotransmitter. It's, um, if you remember the movie Pinocchio, Jiminy Cricket is Pinocchio's little friend that is to, to, made to resemble, or it's the uh, analogy of someone's conscience. So Jiminy Cricket's job was to follow Pinocchio around, and whenever he was being talked into some kind of mischief by someone, Jiminy Cricket would step in and say, now, is this a good idea? Let's think about this. And um, when Pinocchio decided to go and, and do what he was being tempted to do, he would just basically thump Jiminy off the shoulder or put a 
muzzle on his mouth or whatever it was so he wouldn't have to listen to him. So when our serotonin levels are low, that's in essence what we are doing. Uh, we have less of a, uh, well, we're less inhibited. We, we tend to not think things through. We tend to be more uh, feelings-based in our actions instead of logic-based. And so we make a lot of decisions that we wouldn't have normally made when we're not in the state, when we, when it, when we have our normal uh, flow of serotonin in our brain. So these two things, uh, during limerence, dopamine is at unusually high levels and serotonin levels are unusually low. This, uh, by the way, is pretty much what uh, methamphetamines do, cocaine does for a person. It uh, brings on this, uh, this same interaction of neurotransmitters. Now, it may be sounding like I'm knocking all of this. I'm not. In fact, I believe this is the way that God created us, that uh, we will, um, when we are, quote-unquote, falling in love, we will have these unusually high dopamine levels and unusually low serotonin levels. A textbook example of somebody who is in a situation uh, where they're in limerence with somebody they probably shouldn't be in limerence with uh, would be like if you had a 17-year-old daughter and she's basically saying that she's in love for the first time. And she just knows it's love because the feelings that she has. And and you're thinking to yourself, well, wait a second. The things I've heard about this guy are not so positive. And so you might try to approach, confront your daughter and, and you know, help her see some, see, you know, not through rose colored glasses about this young man. And so you say, sweetheart, you know, um, I, I have heard some things that are not so good about him. And, and she would say, back to you. Well, dad, you just don't know him. If you knew him like I know him, you'd think differently. And then you're thinking, yeah, well, okay, I don't know him as well as you, but I I do know that he has uh, just gotten released uh, like less than a year ago from his third conviction of uh, drug dealing. And your daughter would say something to you like, well, dad, that's because he's saving money for college. Duh. And uh, another example would be some somebody you've been working with for, man, I don't know, five or ten years, and uh, he's in the same department as you or she, and and always the first to be there and always the last to leave and always has their work done on time and never called in sick in five years. And then all of a sudden they strike up a relationship with somebody over in the next department, and now you're noticing that this person is coming in late every day and coming back late for lunch and calling in sick every other week. Well, he's in this state of limerence. Now, um, the one big thing to understand about this is that it runs its course. It does not last. There is no known case of limerence that is lifelong. In fact, Typically, it runs about 6 to 18 months. Also, people who have been out of limerence for quite some time, like a number of years, don't usually recall it as being in love. They may say, I thought I was in love, but they don't, they don't describe it the same way they describe it when they're in that state. 
I often have people ask me, how do I make it last longer than six to 18 months? And there's a very simple formula for this. So if you if you are tip if you're right now in limerence with somebody, you want to, might want to write this down. Simple formula for making this last longer than six to eighteen months. So normally about twelve months, about a year is how long it it typically lasts. Okay, the formula is stay away from the person you're in limerence with. That's how you make it last longer. You stay away from the person that you're in limerence with. Now, the thing is, I have never had anybody that I know of successfully do that. Because when we're in limerence, we're convinced that more of this person is better. So we, uh, I haven't had anybody be able to um, just stay away. Well, I take that back. I have had a lot of people that I've worked with who are in limerence with somebody who's not their spouse. And once they recognize that uh, this is eventually going to be make matters worse for all of us, then they will uh, take measures to stop and cut off that relationship. Uh, but that that's a very intentional thing. And uh, we can, uh, you're welcome to get in touch with me and I'll be glad to show you some ways to make that happen. But essentially you've got to cut off that all ties with that person. You've got to make it uh, where they don't have opportunities to, um, what we would say, make deposits in the relational account. So that may mean uh, getting a new phone number, changing your emails. We've had people that have even had to quit their jobs or even move to another city. But whatever it takes is, um, if, if you recognize that's where you are, that's what you're going to have to do. You're not going to be able to let that person down easy. Those of you who've raised teenage children, or even just when you um, were in a situation, maybe when you were younger and you re realized, I need to break up with this person, um, but you cared about them, you didn't want to hurt their feelings, so you tried to let them down easy. Well, there's no such thing. It's, it's going to hurt, but it's actually going to hurt more the longer you draw it out. So if you really care and love that other person, then the best thing for them and for yourself is to cut it off as soon and as sharply as you can. So the definition, excuse me, not the definition, the formula for making limits last longer is staying away from that other person. Why is this so? Well, let me give you another definition of limerence or my definition of limerence is that it is the illusion of full acceptance the illusion of full acceptance. Now, the thing is that humans, once we start relating with one another, we might at first, um, as we get to know somebody, we might like pretty much everything about them. But we're eventually going to find things that we don't like about them, that we'd like to change. So at first, when two people start falling in love, they think that they're fully accepted by each other. But then typically what happens is they uh, start to try to share life together, move in together, get married, whatever. And they start recognizing that there are things that they don't like about each other. And they get convinced that life would be much better if I could just change this about the other person. Well, then the very act of trying to change it makes the other person feel unaccepted. And the very act of them trying to change us makes us feel un unaccepted. And so we start to feel uh, different than we did when we thought we were fully accepted. So the, in other words, the illusion of full acceptance starts to go away. And this is where people write songs about uh, trying to get the feeling again and you've lost that loving feeling. 
because they believed that the love is the feeling that they had. And so they then begin to think that what made me have that feeling was the way the other person acted. Well, it's much more about how they believed about the other person. They believed they were fully accepted that led to that feeling. So yes, it does have something to do with how the other person acts, but ultimately it's going to go away because we're going to discover we don't fully accept each other. Another interesting tidbit to all this is there's some more recent research that shows that uh, some couples that are like in their 70s, been married for three or four decades, uh, have unusually high levels of dopamine and unusually low levels of serotonin. So in other words, they're starting to have some of these limerence feelings coming back after 40 plus years. And in fact, there's a Another well-known researcher, David Schnarch, who says that the, the couples who experience the most fulfilling and exciting sex lives are couples who have been married three, four decades and are well in their senior citizen years. Well, why would that be? Well, if you've gone through many ups and downs over many years and even decades with somebody, and you've tried changing each other and that didn't work. And so you stop trying to change each other and you just learn to love and live with each other the way each other is. Then eventually, after several thousand mornings of rolling over and seeing that that person is still there committed to you and has, has kind of given up on trying to change you, then you start to feel uh, this well, in other words, the illusion has gone away. Now it's like, oh, this person really does accept me. Well, as I first started uh, discovering the science of limerence, um, one part really made sense to me. It's like, okay, well, this is why nobody's heard this term. Actually, not many people have. But if you Google it, you can find hundreds of thousands of references and all kinds of research on it. But we typically, as a culture, don't know this term, and I don't think we want to because... What it, what it shows us is that if we are going to have lifelong love with someone, then we're going to have to grow. And the very hope of finding somebody that fully accepts us kind of goes against that. It says, um, hopefully there's somebody out there who will not expect me to grow, who doesn't expect me to get better at loving and being less selfish. And so the whole idea takes away this uh, romantic idea of that I don't have to change at all and, and I don't have to grow in order to have healthy, vibrant, growing, long-lasting relationships. Another part of it that bothered me at first was it was like God had played this big trick on us. It's like, okay, this makes so much sense. You know, it sounds a lot like what generations have been telling us, probably hundreds of generations about, you know, be careful who you date. Uh, you could fall in love with anybody in which it is by the case. You can pretty much have limerence with anybody if you go through the right steps. And that's for another podcast. But uh, so if we, if we were to know what marriage really was going to be like, if, we believed that if we knew that the feelings were going to subside for the most part, the strong, intense feelings of, of being this wild, crazy 
love kind of feelings and uh, that those were going to go away and that we were only going to have a wonderful marriage after going through a lot together, having a lot of hurts and a lot of forgiveness and pretty much giving up ourselves for the sake of a relationship, then probably there would be very, very few, if any, people in this world that would say, sign me up. So the way I'm seeing is God kind of knew he needed something to kickstart marriage that was not the normal way of uh, how we feel and think. But also this had to go away because if it didn't go away, then we probably wouldn't last. You know, the other side of that arc, on the early stages of Limerence, that's where all the love songs and poems and movies are written about. Um, I, I don't need anything but you. All I need is the air that I breathe and to love you. So we, we get feeling in that and thinking in that state of limerence that we really don't need anything else. You know, like we could just go backpacking the world and, and bumming money off people to live on. And we don't need any other relationships. We don't need a job. Uh, we just need each other. And, and that's all I want. Thank you very much. Well, if that, that feeling didn't go away, then, well, we would eventually run out of people who are willing to support our habit, of course. Uh, we would lose our jobs. And also, we tend to have our first children during that, or at least conceive our first children during that initial state of limerence. So if the limerence doesn't go away, then the child is neglected because we don't really care about the child. They are just an inconvenience to our relationship and actually maybe even uh, feel like they come between the two of us. So if you think about the timing, it just makes perfect sense. Six to 18 months. That's just about the right amount of time to start becoming sexual, to conceive a child. And then about the time the child comes along, then we're back to our normal selves back to our normal thoughts and feelings and able to keep our job and able to uh, take care of daily things that come along and raise a healthy, loved child. So if you're listening to this and this is making any sense, I urge you to you know, strongly to go and, and do some of your own research on it. But I also want you to hear that the state you're in, limerence, is not love. It was designed by God. It makes perfect sense in the whole scheme of nature, but in it, it in itself is not love. It's a wonderful thing. Enjoy it while it lasts. If it's uh, with somebody who you're planning on married and you're not uh, marrying and you're not already married, um, enjoy it while it lasts. If it's somebody that you know is, um, looking for the same uh, things in life that really matter, your faith, your family values, the way you treat people. Um, but if it's not, then please understand that this too will pass. And that Jiminy Cricket that is usually on your shoulder 
telling you to think through things, has been gagged by you. And so he's not helping you. He's not there to help you see into the future at uh, some of the misery that you're going to be creating that you wouldn't otherwise have if you were not to end your marriage and move on. Well, we've got a great place for you to start, and that's uh, by attending a Love Reboot with us. We have one about every month. You can find more out about those at our website, growinglovenetwork.org. I hope this has been helpful to you. Relationship Rewire is produced by Growing Love Network. Growing Love Network exists to revolutionize our culture for lifelong love. You can find us on the web at growinglovenetwork.org. We welcome your feedback on this and any of our podcasts. Drop us an email at relationshiprewire at gmail.com. That's relationshiprewire at gmail.com. Is your church or organization looking for a course that doesn't just provide information, but actually transforms marriages and relationships? Then visit us at growinglovenetwork.org to see how our Growing Love course can work for you. Growing Love has been chosen by the state of Texas as a Together in Texas course, and it's also recommended for engaged couples.